back corner <laughs> when I'm not presenting. Listening in. And listen in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Bash University Live here on Tuesday night. Take a quick break. Watch John Cruz's on the Tokyo rig. Be a part of the show. Get some chances to win some awesome prizes. As fast you go. You know, we didn't have that back then. And, 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 dude, it can just... That text thread gives me so much energy. I mean, like I'm dialed here. Welcome to Bash You Live. We are back. I am your host for the evening, Justin Kimmel, aka Professional Fish Head for the Bash University. And I'm joined in my own house, my new house, by Riz, aka Rich, sometimes. <laughs> um, but man, we have got just an awesome show for you guys. Um, we're missing our, our fearless leader tonight, both of them. Uh, but uh, you get us and you get a great conversation coming your way. Um, especially by Ot the Foe. Yet again, a champ. I don't even know how many he's won. Two, three, four this year. He just keeps on winning, and I'm so excited because we finally were able to line up and, and, and just get our schedules together and have him on the show. So I'm really um, looking forward to that, man. He, he won by doing something that I would have bet 10, thing, 10 other things would have won at the Harris Chain at, at that Major League Fishing Bass Pro Tour event. But uh, yeah, man, I'm I'm uh, I'm with Riz. Riz, you've been on the road a while, man. Yeah, that's right, J.K. I actually uh, packed up and hauled out straight after the BFL on the Chesapeake. Hit the road, top five Al finish, fourth place. Hit Congratulations! The, hit the road for Alabama. Uh, had an awesome week of seminars down there with our guys. What a great panel we had for us both days down there in Alabama mm -hmm. to the likes of Lee Livesey, Jeff Gustafson, Greg Hackney, Drew Benton. Brian New and Clint Davis. I mean, I'm telling you, the content that we got out of these guys, it was incredible. And I cannot wait until we put it out there for you guys on Bash TV. It's going to be good stuff. Yeah, man. And we we got to do a little fishing, Brian. We got to do a little fishing. And I uh, I have to say, I cannot stand. I mean, nothing, <laughs> nothing I hate more. You guys know this. Nothing I hate more than leaving them biting. And that's exactly what we had to do when we had to leave. Um, I think we caught them on our last cast. Sure did. I think you pulled up a school of like 10 at the same time. But anyways, we'll get to that. Um, we're joined by uh, our very own BTC. BTC, what's going on, man? What's up? How you guys doing out there in oh, Justin's okay. new house? How many uh, new houses is this, Justin? One every other year you switch houses? Right now we're on like a one every three year pace. My wife just, she... She gets in the mood for a new project, and I just tell her, okay, tell me where to go next. That's pretty in fact, rad. Riz stayed at my house this weekend since we kept him down in Georgia for a few days. He has slept, I think you've been in my house more nights than I have, actually. Quite possibly. Because I was tra we, we moved, and then I traveled for the seminars and a tour tournament. And then uh, when we came back here, I went straight on Memorial Day vacation with my family um, and no fishing. And, Rich uh, christened the house for you. <laughs> yeah. Well done. 
But, uh, but who else do we got in there, BTC? It looks like GD, GDP is back with us. Greg. What's up, boys? Long time no see. I know we've missed you, man. Been watching watching you out there. After, uh, let's see, the last one was kind of tough on everybody, wasn't it? On the uh, Gunnersville one? Yeah, Gunnersville. Yeah, it wasn't the uh, traditional Gunnersville. Every year we go back, it seems like, honestly, it's going down a little bit, you know, as far as the fishing goes. It's getting tougher and tougher. A lot of pressure. Wow. Yeah. That pressure, I think that COVID pressure is what everybody's talking about. You got, we got all these new people fishing and, you know, and half of them don't know what, what bait to throw. And, you know, it's just. Yeah. We've had, just, you know, a lot of, a lot of COVID pressure for sure. But, you know, this year down in that general area, the weather has just been absolutely crazy down there. Flooding, uh, cold weather, uh, snow you know, not that long ago down there in Gunnersville. It's just been a crazy, crazy year. And besides that, I think all three of us have beards besides BTC. Can you not grow a beard, Brian? Well, uh, I could, but why would you want to hide this? I would hide you know? it. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to think of what to put on my story. Now I got it. I'm going to write it here in a minute. Yeah, beard, <laughs> beards are for ugly guys. Yeah, whatever. Beardless leader. Beardless leader. What's that? Beardless leader. Beardless leader. Yeah, and, and and no, I can't. Oh man, I could grow a bunch of stuff down here, but it doesn't connect. So remember, remember when I was fourteen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, sorry, Justin. Go ahead. No, you're good, man. There's no Pete tonight. We're we're all we're really all the hosts tonight. So all right. we just all right. We get the Ot Ot on. I think Ot, what's Ot's going to join us in in uh, twenty or thirty BTC? Yeah, around seven thirty. Cool, cool. Well. um, you know, we, we'll dive right into it. I, I know we want to get to, we've got some, obviously we've had a new sponsor for the last couple months and, and they brought to you guys an awesome new deal. I want Riz to tell us more about it. Yeah, that's right. Empire covers guys. If you haven't checked them out, uh, you really need to, uh, I'm actually, I'm using the cover right now on my bass cat that hasn't moved in about two weeks right now. Uh, and that empire cover I'm sure is keeping it in pristine condition. I mean, guys, boating season, it's its finally here. And the elements, man, they'll leave your boat at worst for wear. Just go to empirecovers.com, and you can get a cover that will protect your vehicle or boat from all the harshest conditions, whether you're trailering it or you're keeping it on the water. Empire Covers actually just dropped a new line, the American Eagle line of covers. Um, guys, these things are marine-grade, waterproof fabric that'll protect your boat or vehicle from all the elements. And the best part is they're made 100% right here in the USA in Kentucky. Go United check States out. United States of Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and so guys, as usual, um, during the live show, we have some awesome stuff going on for our subscribers. Um, you know, we want to hear from you, get your questions in when we get out on the show so that we can get that through and ask them and get them answered. And uh, we, we're giving some stuff away tonight as well. Uh, we got a $100 TH Marine prize pack going out to a Bash University TV subscriber. And we also have a $50 Facebook like and share flambeau pack going out to somebody on the Facebook airwaves. So like and share the feed if you're watching over there. But if you haven't signed up yet for Bash UTV, now's a great time. And it's the last day to take advantage of an awesome deal that we have where if you sign up, you save $30 on your annual subscription and you get a Bass University red, white, and BU exclusive Bass University hat. So guys, head over to Bashing TV, join the program. We want to help you help you catch more big bass. 
Man, that's awesome. And that, yeah, guys, tonight's the last night. Make sure you check that out. Um, and yeah, that man, code for uh, Empire Covers. Did yeah. you hit that, Rich? I don't know if you did or not. Uh, I don't think I mentioned the cover in there. Thanks, Brian. The uh, the Space cover you the cover code dash you twenty one guys. Get over there, grab yourself a cover, protect your investment. That's fifteen percent off, and uh, and free shipping, guys. That's a lot of money on a pretty expensive item. Um, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I've got a couple holes in my cover right now. I might be in the market. So. Holes in your britches. Yeah. Yeah, you know, moving it'll do a lot of a lot of a lot of rough stuff on your gear. But hey, you know, we got what do we got? Do we need to take a a, a commercial break, or can we can we no, pass you, it down for a little bit? That's right, right to Greg. What do you got? What do you got? I, I mean, I I do. I want to talk about Gunnersville. I want to talk dive deep into what uh, what Greg was talking about. Yeah, you, you just want me to roll it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, roll with it. Roll with Man, it. Greg. Go, Greg. go bash you. Here's the unique thing that I'm going to tell the viewers. Riz and I went and filmed at Gunnersville with some of the Elite Series pros right after the tournament was over. You know, we filmed with Hack. He literally, t- I think he got third. And then the next day he was in our seminar classroom, you know, and uh, we got to we got to go out there and experience kind of, you know, it gets light at 5 a.m., um, out at uh, in Central Time on at uh, Gunnersville, so we were we about two hours in the morning mm-hmm. probably before we started working, and then we got to do one evening, and then the next day, Pete said, "Hey boys, take the camera guys fishing." So we got to have a little fun on uh, on Gunnersville, but uh, I noticed a change, so I'm really eager to get that perspective, Greg, on what was going on right before we encountered what we did, you know, cause I'm convinced it wasn't the same story for you guys. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, just, just you saying that small nugget prior to the show starting, I, I actually knew exactly what you were talking about because, you know, going into an event like we always do, if you're not fishing at home, you know, where you just kind of know everything that goes on 24 seven, you know, when you're traveling state to state, lake to lake, you try to kind of, uh, I don't want to say anticipate the bite, but you, 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 you look at the time of year, you look at past history tournaments, how they were won, all that good stuff, YouTube. And, you know, going into Gunnersville, we were all kind of thinking, like, man, we're going to hit this one perfect. And when, I, when I'm saying that means, like, we're going to hit a perfect offshore. Like, the fish are just going to get out there. They're, they're not going to be, you know, beat on yet. That's always the biggest problem with all them lakes down there. Anything on Tennessee River, they just get crushed. So once some fish get out there. So we kind of thought we were going to have the perfect week of the fish on the move, almost like, the beginning of practice was going to be pointless because the fish were going to going to get out there. But for us, for the majority of the guys, I really don't know of many guys that got them offshore. Um, so my travel partner, Garrett Paulquette, he just he just loves graphing. I mean, that's that's his bread and butter. That's what he's really good at. And I told Garrett the first day of practice, I said, dude, you start seeing him out there really good, let me know I'm coming. And he never really saw him out there. So I kind of just stayed shallow. I fished the grass the entire time, which I love doing, don't get me wrong. Um, but I knew we were probably going to be a day or two or a week off from it happening. So I'm kind of guessing Justin, that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, man. I mean, we, I knew that it had been primarily, primarily shallow, you know, a lot of the flipping stuff going on, you know, fry garters, I imagine were in play. I think I heard some guys saying that they saw fish on beds, caught fish on beds. Um, and you know, that, that, when you're getting one to two bites an hour flipping that shallow grass and stuff, you ca- you kind of know it's starting to be that tail end, yep. 
you know, fish are scattered. And, you know, when we went out there, I tried to do that. I took Riz to one of my favorite holes, one that kind of, I think, played for one of the guys in the top 10. But, uh, man, we went there and Riz missed like a five pounder on a frog, like first cast. Mm-hmm. And it then followed it up, second cast with, with, with a, caught, caught like a two and a half, three pounder. And, uh, and then it, they, there were some fish there, but it, it just seemed like they were, I don't know, Leave. they were thinning out, you know? And uh, so that was the first time we got to go out there. And the second time we, we were filming in a place down the lake, you know, and a place where I feel like you'd, you'd get your first groups to start to group up, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so I was like, well, we don't have much time. I think we had maybe two hours. I was like, let's, let's dump it in here right here by the by the house and just go out there and see if we can't find anything and i uh i stumbled across a group and um and kind of fished a a, a spot that they were there they weren't biting and then we we started graphing and on my uh, side imaging i i started seeing the shadows that i was looking for you know and i was like man these these gotta be it and dude it was we we hammered that school Hmm. a couple few different sessions <laughs> and three days in a row it put out fish up to five and a half pounds and i mean i don't know 70 80 90 fish were caught yeah. out of that pool while while our little i mean we didn't get i wish we would have had just like one full throttle day where we could have just leaned on it it was so much fun but the the beautiful part about it is you know those fish were just getting there because they were stupid yep you no know? yeah. you were just throwing it in there and hooking them. And some of them weren't eating and some of them were like missing it, but you know how those bite windows are. Yeah. I mean, uh, if, if they were there during our practice in a tournament and trust me, they would have been found. These guys don't miss nothing. They, they truly don't. It and, seemed like they just got there cause they were very willing to bite. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they did. That's what we were all anticipating, but it just never happened for us. That's just been right. our year pretty much, you know, right. what was your, um, what was your take on, on the grass in the um like the stage that that milfoil was looking at what was like in because like like just seeing so there's so much grass on that lake obviously and there's there's a combination there's eelgrass there's coontail there's milfoil but to me like looking at that milfoil it didn't quite look like it, it looked like it would be going away that that deal would be going away if it was something that was happening for like us on the chesapeake what, what was your take on like the stage of the grass and like, you know, how much that could have affected the fishing up shallow as opposed to deep? Did, did you notice anything about that or? Well, so, you know, I started going there in 2019. So I've been there in 2019. I went there for in 2020 twice, one for the classic, one for the actual tournament in the fall. And then this time this year. So for me, you know, I always heard of Gunnersville in the past. I'm going back years now you know, always having gorgeous flowing milfoil. So in 2019, when we, were there, when we were there, there was hardly any milfoil at all. It was all eelgrass and some coontail mixed in. And then in 2020, we went, I couldn't really find uh, milfoil at all. It was mostly all eelgrass. This year when we went back, there was actually more milfoil than I personally have ever seen myself on Gunnersville. Um, but the grass, man, it's so hard to say which is right and wrong because – I kind of got on a little flipping deal in this one area of all milfoil. It was literally the best grass I've seen on the entire place the whole entire week. I mean, it was it was in ten foot ten foot of water, standing mm-hmm. like milfoil. There was some coontail mixed in, and I was 
you know, flipping a giant jig inside of there and just punching it through. Um, it just never worked out in the tournament for me, but I, I still think the grass plays a big part on that place. You still have to find the right areas. Uh, you know, for me, as soon as I got there the first day, my whole entire thing was I ran to the bank and I just looked and seen what was spawning, what's not spawning, which on Gunnersville, I think in, you know, beginning of June, man, I don't think the fish should be spawning, you know, down south that late, honestly. Uh, but there was definitely still a lot of fish spawning. I think one of the main deals that did go on in that tournament, a lot of guys are running bluegill beds, uh, which kind of like, you know, pertains in a whole different world all by itself. That's just what the fish are doing at that certain time during that week. Uh, besides that, like you're saying, Riz, the fish, the fish were working out kind of what I was looking for. I went to where I thought there was all spawning bays, and I just went from them, and I worked out deeper water. That's that's what I did. That's what I focused on. You know, the first day I caught 16-something doing that, a good bag for that for that tournament. And then day two, I just never got any big bites, surprisingly. Um, right. But the grass question, I don't know, Riz. I don't really know the place uh, really, really good. But like I said, from 2019 till now, the grass got a lot better. And I did see right. a lot of, like, the red-tipped milfoil in some of the areas, which I like a lot of. We're seeing the red tip. Yeah, no I started seeing it. Yep. Okay. All right. Okay. I saw a little bit of that at the, but we didn't stay there long at the mouth of South Saudi. Okay. But um, but yeah, the the eelgrass is also negatively affecting a lot of areas. Choking you know, it's limiting your uh, techniques. You right. Know? Oh, it's the floating eelgrass. Oh, dude, it's horrible, horrible. That's not the Gunnersville I know. It's been about four years. I got I got mad four years ago. I went to a frogs only tournament. Tried not to practice in the area I thought we would just fish the tournament in. And I went back there and they sprayed everything. And uh, everything was gone. And I'm like, all right, Gunnersville, you know, screw you. I'm I'm not coming back. Wow. You know. But I grew up going there, Greg. Like I, I know Gunnersville. It's probably one of the top three lakes that I know, you know, top to bottom as wow. far as just a lot of days. I probably have over a hundred days on that lake and I, I love it. Um, but, uh, this eelgrass, man, it was a new, new deal. Me and Riz got on a group of them out deep, you know, in another spot from where, not the mega school, but it was a, it was a big school of spots and oh my gosh, the spots went, uh, went, got bigger since I've been. I yeah. I think that's spot. definitely something I'm seeing too, for sure. Every year getting bigger yeah. and bigger and a lot more of them. Yeah. Oh yeah, two and a half to three and a half pounders, and yeah. and I'm seeing the depth range and everything, but there's eelgrass everywhere. And I caught one dragging a shaky head or whatever, you know, a magnum shaky head. That's that's one of the things we were catching the largemouth on. And um, I caught one doing that, but it just wasn't efficient. I'm like, man, I, most people would probably just run from this. I was like, Riz, we got we got to go vertical. It's like just how you would up shallow, you're going to go flipping, right? That's why flipping is the yep. best thing with all that vegetation. I was like, we just got to go vertical and get through this, dude. We went, pulled out the drop shot rods. And I mean, my boy Rich here, we all know, know him as a power fishing fool, but he got a drop shot in his hands. And I mean, we were pretty level, dude. Yeah. He, he might have he might have beat me at uh, what I thought was my own game. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. we, we pummeled those big spots on one spot. And there was, I mean, dude, that'd be, there was a map, just a giant map of eelgrass over 22 feet of water. And I go over there and I've punched the drop shot, you know, light line through the mat going down 20 feet Wow! and caught like a three pounder. So, I mean, efficiency, you know, obviously rules the day, but that was, that was what you had to do. And I imagine for 
guys wanting to fish any other way, it just had to drive them nuts, you know? Yeah. You know, one, one really good tip with floating grass, if you're in an area that has that grass, but like, let's say for example, you were on like, I don't know, a good swim jig or a chatterbait bite and you're, you're throwing it out, you're reeling it in and it's just getting all bojangled, getting stuck up. Dude, this is what you want to do. I learned this years ago on the flats because every once in a while on the upper bay, we, we kind of run into the same scenario with eelgrass floating. Throw out your chatterbait, throw out your swim jig. You can still use it, but you have to whoop it. And just let it go down and just whoop it. It'll just come through clean as can be. And the fish oh. really react to it big time. Is that kind of like the zip zip? It's, it is. It's just it's like a shallower, shallower version of that. Um, Greg, I actually got a question on the board. Uh for you, I have two. Um, so I'm going to hit you with one, and then I'm going to come back to you. But uh, Joe on the message board, a Bash TV subscriber, wants to know: Do certain grasses tend to hold uh, bigger fish? And you know that not specifically for Gunnersville, just you know in general, have you found that certain grasses hold bigger ones? Yeah, I can say this for sure. Um, you know, depending where you're at, Joe, uh, it seems like way down south, like like Florida and stuff. Uh, the more you can have mixed vegetations together, the better. Uh, besides that, once you get up north, I think milfoil is dominant. Um, but I, I will tell you this. Anytime grass growth comes up and it's fresh and it's brand new and it's full of oxygen, don't matter what kind of grass it is, I think the fish go right to it every single time, period. That's the right. main thing. Uh, for example, like on the upper bay on the flat, once the eelgrass usually kicks off, Man, it's a great time to really focus on it because I think the fish go right towards it, right to it because it's so much more oxygen. Because when the eelgrass starts coming up, it actually starts to choke out that milfoil the fish were in, and it seems like the fish go from that milfoil right to the eelgrass every time. So I always think the the, the newest vegetation is the best. Gotcha. And um, uh, Andrew Williams, Greg wants to know uh, how do you tackle a lake that is uh, that has a lot of grass? but it's only a brim fishery. Uh, his lake doesn't have shad. Well, that's good. I mean, honestly, to be completely honest, man, I flip a brim jig in the grass, especially this time of year more than anything. It's actually a bite that I focus on a lot around here in South Jersey. Um, I would just match the forge, man. Don't worry about shad. Flip a jig. Turn your chatterbait into brim color or some kind of goldish color. Uh, you know, I always just say match the hatch. I mean, we all say that. That's honestly the truth. That's all you really have to do. Good deal. That brim jig is juice. Yeah, it's Good money. BTC, are you are you uh, are you are you wanting to go to a break here and then bring in Otter in a few minutes, or what's your what's your feels? Well, thanks for asking, Richard. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, chewing down the last couple bites of food. I don't know. You know, I got another little story we can tell. <laughs> give him give him a chance to digest. Maybe a couple more things. Anybody got more stuff? Yeah, I, I got to tell tell you, GDP. This was a this was a fun experience for uh, Riz, but I felt like the story should be told. So we were out there on like our last hour and a half, I guess, and we had we had jumped in the boat with Gussie and Riz did some social media work with him that morning, just you know, extra stuff with Gussie. Thanks, mm -hmm. Gussie. And uh, then, anyways, he he had we had seen him and then kind of gone apart and then. Right there towards the end, we got on that school, and Gussie was coming down, and he had he had apparently gone and caught some and was starting to, you know, work on it. He didn't have a good finish either, Greg. I think he was down in the 70s, so he really wanted to spend some extra time out there and try to just figure out what was going on or if he missed anything or just, you know, I think, I think everybody's kind of on the same page as what was going on. You guys were really just – they weren't out there yet, and they were kind of in between. And um, But anyways – 
we've got everybody, including the cameraman, who's catching his first like four to five fish or whatever. And I, I mean, we're, I mean, our rods are doubled up like every second, you know, every, every other cast. Oh, I love that. And then Riz is just, when Riz sets the hook, you know it. And you know it from about 600 yards away. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the guy, the guy sends out a wake on the boat, right? Like, I love it. He just, he just pounds it through there. But uh, I, I holler at Gussie, you know, and I was like, Hey, get off my school, you know, or whatever. And then just kind of just wave him on over. And he's starting to ease down, you know, the brake lines and wherever we were, you know, and, um, we just, I mean, it's just pummeling them. And I'm like, dude, you can join us. Come on, whatever, you know, we're not fishing a tournament. Come on, come on in. And, and finally he gets a little bit closer and like all three of us hook up. It's chaos. I think I had Riz had a spook over the side cause there was some fish coming up. And if you threw a spook in them, you'd catch them. And, uh, wow. he had, a, I had a spook. He had a drop shot over the side. I think I, I hook a two or three pounder and it gets stuck in both of the, the lines hanging over, but Riz mm. can't help me because he just hooked into one and, uh, and uh, we're yelling at Gussie and he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm coming. Well, the dude comes over and he's fishing with his wife, Shelby, and she's got a spinning rod in her hand. Uh-huh. And I mean, dude, we've been working this school and they come in at a different angle or whatever. And I, and I marked fish on that, that side too, but that wasn't like the juice cast for us, but she's coming in, landing her baits kind of where we were, but dragging off a different way. Dude, she popped like two, four and a half, four and three quarter size fish with a with a spinning rod and a nico rig and i'm like same worm she switched to the same worm that we were catching them on <laughs> and she just like totally took added a pound to the weight of the fish we were catching or more and uh and there for a moment gussie was like man the guy who's fishing for a living is is isn't catching anything my wife's catching them yada 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 and then he gets on the phone is stroking a jig or whatever and literally three feet, um, you know, from the boat, a five and a half, five and three quarter pounder just gets it, you know, and it's, it's, it was complete mayhem. Mm. We were all still hooking up. I think the biggest one, I think, Rich, you caught some good spots out of that school too, I think. Yeah, there was some but, uh, in there. Yeah, one, one thing I learned about offshore fishing, when they're schooling on the offshore spot, it's a good spot. Yeah, you know, yeah, chasing up. Yeah, it's it's yeah. loaded. I've seen that a handful of times. I've never experienced it. Like yep. I've seen you guys like share water with your buddies, you know, in the elite events, and two or three of you get on a place and and milk a big school with hundreds of fish. But I mean, there was no slowing down. Like you had Gussie, you had his wife, you had the three of us in my boat. Everybody getting bent over, you know. It was yeah. I hadn't seen that in a while, especially on Gunnersville. And it was, I don't know, I'd I'd say the biggest takeaway for me was getting off that bank and yet again, building more confidence in trusting what I'm seeing on my graphs, on on my helixes. Cause you know, I'm a, I'm, you know, a natural born bank angler, but I've, you know, I've learned a good bit offshore, but just being able to trust and say, Hey, those, those are bass and those look like ones that are going to bite. Yeah. That's, you know, that's what I thought I saw when I found this school because I didn't see a hundred fish. Yep. I saw about, you know, two groups of like eight shadows. Yep. You know, 
And uh, man, by the time we left them, it was the bright sun was out. And I think Riz, Riz hooked into one at the end, like a three pounder. And it had like an eight swimming with it, oh, like an eight pounder, a five pounder. Yeah. You found, and they you found were, the winning spot. <laughs> yeah. They were just all ganged up. Yep. You know, I'm like, man, if we could have just stayed for a night derby or something, we would have yeah. had fun. Man, you, but, you, you kind of brought up a good point. Uh, I think I think a lot of the BU subscribers probably can maybe agree with me. Like, when it comes to actually graphing around and looking for these fish we're talking about, you heard Justin say it too, you know, trying to build confidence in what he's doing. Dude, that's that's really pretty much all of it. Like, knowing not not knowing what you're looking at is okay because once you literally see a school of fish that you know are bass, dude, it kind of like – pulls a light bulb it's like oh my there they are that's how they should look you know like justin yep. said he might have saw eight or ten down there and a lot of times you might even see one or two you turn around and fish it and it's just because you had a bad shot or bad angle coming across a lot of times there's piles of them sitting down there you just can't see a lot of them so if you're marking around and you, you hear us talk about shadows mm-hmm. you know a lot of times them shadows will literally be i mean here's kind of a good example there's a light right here you know you got a a, a pen right here if that shadow, you probably can't see this real good, but if that shadow is kind of connected to the bottom like that, it's probably more or less a stump or a tree. If you zoom in and you blow up a little square here, if there's a fish there, you'll actually see a little space in between that fish and the bottom just to give you a good idea what kind of shadows we're trying to see. You're trying to see a shadow that's coming off of an object that's basically has a space in between it. And don't get me wrong, a lot of times you're graphing around like on Gunnersville, you'll see a lot of catfish out there too. And, and one good way to tell if they're catfish, man, put a crankbait on and burn that thing as fast as you can. And if your line comes back with slime on it, you came through a bunch of catfish. I mean, it happens all the time. You know, but yeah. if you come through, you get no slime, you're probably going to get a bite. It's going to be a bass. But understanding the side imaging, understanding the shadows we're talking about, it just takes development. It takes time. Use YouTube. I use YouTube 24-7, you know, when I was trying to learn all this stuff. It just simplifies everything. But it's definitely... If you live on a body of water where you can graph and get offshore, you kind of got to learn it, man, because there's going to come a time during the course of every year where you're not going to catch them because you're, you're against the bank still. So, you know, that's my two cents on it. Yeah, that's a great two cents. And yeah. We got uh, the guy who's coming on with us, JK. He, he did some hummingbird uh, seminars for us over the years with uh, side imaging, Mega360, yeah. all that. Guys, if you just type in, you just type in helmet, or you just type in Optifo on the Bashu search bar, it'll it'll come up, man. He, that guy, he he knows how to use those electronics, and he also puts them to work too. I, you know, I truly has the best. And when I first got my helixes, I set them exactly, I set them up exactly like he said to do in the seminars, and uh, that was the best way for me to start. Now I've started to mess around and get really geeked into it to change some color palettes on different lakes and shooting different depths and all that stuff but man he nailed it mm-hmm. on on if you're getting a start but man i think i think he's going to come on soon why don't we cut cut to our commercial break btc are we good we're good Sit this break awesome. be right back no wait why do you love catching fish and rod i'm truly losing less fish is the sensitivity of the rod that are made right here in north carolina in the usa Strongest, lightest rod, 100% made here in Sanford, North Carolina. From the drop shot rod to the flipping stick, every rod has a purpose to it, and I rely on them all the time when I'm out doing a tournament. Durability in the John Cruz Worming Series, the counterbalancing in the handle. It's the only rod I found that can withstand my hook set. Boom goes the dynamite.
different. Some would say obsessed. There's no place on earth we'd rather be than right here, right now. Performance-driven gear, so you can fish longer, harder. Gills Performance Fishing. 2021 Red Crest Champion Dustin Connell here. And if you watch live coverage, we just got done at Lake Eufaula. I caught my fish using the active target with Lowrance. What you didn't see is I run a sea clear power harness in my boat. One of the main advantages to running this harness is it does not drain my batteries down at all running my four units. And what that's gonna allow me to do is I'm able to see my bait at 8 a.m. just as good late in the day. Y'all check them out at seaclearpower.com. You take pride in your boat, so it deserves the best protection possible. Our durable woven fabric prevents ripping and provides UV protection, and our tape seams provide protection against the elements. The heavy-duty shock cord hem and strap and buckle system provide a tight and secure fit. Our top-of-the-line boat covers come with a ventilation system to keep your boat free from mold buildup. Empire Covers, protecting what you love. Yeah. And we're back. And we're back. Sorry, just I didn't get that. I'm uh, I'm just guys, <laughs> Pete. But we are back with the champ who's winning so much I can't even count them all. I'm just <laughs> so happy that he is able to join us and get back with us. Um, you know, I know uh, it's been a crazy year for you, blessed year, and you have just absolutely cracked them, and you did it again, man. Uh, welcome and congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I hate, hate we weren't able to do it after Rayburn, but I was like, well, if I go ahead and win another one, maybe they'll have me <laughs> in. So, <laughs> able to, that, so we appreciate your yeah. getting another one. <laughs> you got, you know. got one out, outside of Texas again. It, it, we were, we were get, beginning to thank you. Just we're going to save all your wins for Texas. Moving yeah. On. Yeah, that was kind of the way I was thinking. So, yeah, no, it, it definitely was, was good to win. Went somewhere else, and and honestly, to be honest, I mean, uh, of all places, Florida for me. Uh, I mean, that, uh, it's been good to me some in, in recent years, but uh, last year our, our event, the one event we had, there was my worst finish of the year. Um, so I was, it was really cool to get a, get a win in the state of Florida. Florida's a unique place and can be very fickle. Um, so to come out of there with a win was something that'll always be special. Yeah, well, to hear that, uh, and, and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, if we, if we go in there, I'm going to get you to dive into the details and do what we do. But, you know, when I think of a Shad Spawn and Ot Defoe, I'm pretty sure you're going to finish pretty darn well in, in an event where that's going on. It just seems like, I mean, we've got the Bait Spawn Seminar by Ot Defoe on Bash UTV yeah. for reason, because I've seen <laughs> so many high finishes, including, I think it was Okeechobee, Mm -hmm. we way high up on a Florida shad spawn and, and have seen it all over the place, but uh, no surprise to me, except for how you caught them. Yeah. But, uh, man, I, I want you to go in, in detail <clears throat> here real quick. You're, you're one of our guys. You've been a Bash U instructor for mm -hmm. a long time, and I've got a great panel with me and Riz and BTC and Greg De Palma here, and we're going to ask you some questions, um, and so are the uh, guys on our chat board. But I – I, I feel comfortable enough doing this with you because you're one of our guys. Give us the bash you rundown. You know what we want. You know, yep. how you approach the tournament, 
you know, you know, if there's something in practice and we'll interject our questions in, but man, give me the goods. The yeah. Goods. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it was, uh, I, I do. I love a bait, a bait fish spawn. And, and I'm calling this, I, I called it the shad spawn at the time. I truly don't know if they were shad, but mm-hmm. they acted a lot like shad. They were really, really small was a big, was a big thing with it. That's why it's kind of, I'm kind of tore as to whether or not they were actually shad or some other type of minnow or something. Um, but going into the event, I, I truly expected that to be over with. <clears throat> you know, I mean that the the tournament you mentioned on Okeechobee that was in March a few years ago, and that was a shad spawn. So I'm like, man, this is May. It's probably gonna we're probably gonna be past that. I expect there to be a a bluegill spawn, you know, probably going on. But I really thought we'd be past a, a shad spawn. Um, I, that was just my thinking going in and get there, and the very first day of practice. Something we dealt with are two days of practice and the first two days of competitions, a day of group A and a day of group B, was heavy, heavy wind. Out of the east, it blew like in the morning, it'd be blowing 10, 12 miles an hour. By 9 o'clock, it would crank up to like 15 to 20. Man, by by noon, it was a sustained 20-plus gust into 30 or 40. So we dealt with heavy wind throughout our, I mean, our two days of practice first two days of the tournament, it really limited how much of the lake you could fish. There, there was so very little you could fish. Um, but the area that had some wind blowing across it, first day of practice, very first place I stopped, I'm riding over through there, and there's, I mean, the telltale sign, there's several birds, you know, bait fish eating birds but right up on the shoreline on this windy point. Um, when you're when you when you're, you're a windy point and it's, you know, springtime, Water's water was in the mid 70s, 76, 78 degrees, something like that. You got water temperature, you got wind, you got birds sitting on a point. That means there's bait fish there. <laughs> I mean, that's that, that that is as simple as it gets in bass fishing. Don't overlook that. Don't don't think too much into that. When you've got those ingredients and you've got birds sitting there, um, that's the best way to look for them first thing in the morning. So pull over there pretty quick on a white swim jig, catch a nice fish. Saw a couple fish feed up in the Kissimmee grass and stuff. And just start fishing. I mean, I just on trail motor and I'm just fishing. Um, and and I'm throwing at Kissimmee grass, I'm throwing at lily pads, I'm throwing at cypress trees. Uh, the next bite I get is actually off of a cypress tree, another nice like two and a half pounder, a good scoreable fish. Um, work on around and and go again, fish a little bit of everything. I'm just fishing whenever I come to. I come to a boat dock and I actually I picked up slim, my crankbait. Mm-hmm. on the outside of that boat dock because there wasn't any grass. It's actually a place I couldn't throw it. And right. as odd as that may sound, that's something that I've done some in Florida for years and years. Uh, a guy showed me that. Uh, Glenn Brown is actually who it was 10 years ago. Glenn's passed away just the last couple of years um, from cancer, but an excellent angler down there, especially in the state of Florida, right. guy that I called a friend for a long time. But he'd showed me that 10 plus years ago. He's like, man, these fish – on these lakes, they love a crankbait around boat docks. Uh, it's like not a lot of people throw it. It's not what they think about, but they absolutely eat it. So I, that was in my mind before this event ever got there. And I, that very first dock, I caught two not scoreable fish off that first dock on a crankbait. It was a bigger dock, stuck out a little ways. But now I've, I've caught fish out of semi grass, caught one off the cypress tree, I've caught one off docks or two off docks. Uh, yeah. And so I just fished. Um, you know, and, and, and kind of whatever I came to. And I would catch fish on a little bit of everything. 
and and I'd I'd change it up some. I caught some cranking, caught some on swim jig, um, you know, just did a little bit of everything. And and that first day, really both days of practice, but that first day I launched in Harris. I had to go through the Dead River. I fished in it a little bit. I fished just a little bit in Eustace uh, or Useless Lake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I went into the Dora Canal. I fished in it some. I went into Lake Dora. I fished in it very little. Drove through Beauclair. Went all the way down the Apopka Canal to the back end of it. And had to make that journey back. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I've covered a lot of ground. Not necessarily out fishing, but I just wanted to see a lot of it. Um, and, this is uh, through the first tournament day. It was almost this is first. This is all first day of practice. Oh, first day of practice! Wow, that's yeah, a lot that's of all, but yeah, that was all first day of practice. Um, and and to come back at the end of the day and spend another couple of hours in Harrison and catch some more, I probably end up catching, I'm gonna say eight good scoreable fish in in Harris with four or five of them coming in an hour. That right, right at the first thing. Um, and kind of, I caught those, and I kind of just went looking. But after that, I wasn't like, I'm going to try to run this pattern everywhere. I just went looking after that. Um, then the next day, I, I was tore. I was like, I had a good enough day on Harris. Like, man, I should probably just go back and try to build on it. But I never went and looked at Griffin on that first day. So I'm like, Griffin, I mean, historically is one of the best ones in the chain. I'm like, I, I have to go look at it. And I had a good enough day there that it rivaled my day or it was actually better than my day on Harris. I caught some fish on some docks and then I went into to one of those marshes and caught them really, really good, to be honest. I mean, I, I thought I was going to really catch them in there on a, on a Terminator swim jig, caught like a five, a four, lost another big one, caught another four later, caught multiple two and a half pounders that would have fish with them chasing it in. Mm-hmm. Is this that new swim jig? Mm-hmm. That thing's got a gaff hook in it, doesn't it? Big gaff, yeah. Yeah, yeah it really does. <laughs> yeah, it, it sure does. And, and so I was, I was tore at that point. I was like, I mean, I caught fish in Harris, but it was kind of, I never found a group of them in Harris. It was just fishing. I just – I didn't find that stretch that I ended up fishing in the tournament. I just – I'd catch a fish here and I'd catch a fish there, but it was never like I'm going to catch them in this next 50 yards. I was just fishing. Um and that was why I ended up going to Griffin on the first day was because I thought that, that was going to be, you know, I, I thought that the area I had there was actually stronger. Uh, and it, I'm thankful that it wasn't because it led me to winning. But, man, I fished over there. I fished the whole day. That was – so it's a long run. You got to walk. You got to do all that stuff. And then I was fishing in a marsh that's electric motor only. Um, less than Or you got to be less than 40 horsepower. So, obviously – or nobody has less than 40 horsepower out here on, on tournament trail. So it was electric motor only. I'm like a 15 minute troll to get where I'm going. Wow. So I'm, I'm committed. I'm like, if I go here, I'm just going to stay the whole day. And that's what I did. I, I fished. I literally fished. It took me about, I lost about an hour on the front end of the fishing day. I fished for six and a half hours making three to five casts a minute. <laughs> and all I caught was six scoreable bass for 12 pounds. Mm. I'm like, I'm not going back. <laughs> that had you that had you, kind of around the cut line, right? I, I wasn't terribly – I was like three and a half pounds off of it. I was below it. I was in 28. Um, right. So I wasn't dead last by any means. But, yeah, I mean, one fish and I'm in it. Um, 
And and I, to be honest, I'm glad. I'm glad that I didn't catch 20 pounds or 22 pounds. I'd have went back in a heartbeat. Right. I, I mean, I'm in the cut. It's a decent day. I catch them a little bit again. I'm gonna make the cut. You know what I mean? But I, I'm glad that I I, caught, I did so bad. <laughs> you know that, that was all part of the plan, apparently. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that's why I, I was really thankful that that was such a such a bad day. Yeah, and you had fished. Now you're fishing your last practice day and your first tournament day in Griffin. Yeah, and mm-hmm. seen Harris or wherever you caught him in three days, maybe four after because of the day off. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, practice day, or, yeah, practice day, an off day, a tournament day, an off day. So, I'm going back four days since I've been Yeah, you're right. I didn't even consider that part of it. Oh, it <laughs> um, can change this time of year, man. A lot, lot yeah. changes. It absolutely does. And, and that was – I was excited. I was like, I knew I wasn't going back to Griffin. I knew I was going to fish Harris. I had enough confidence there. Um, and so, I'm like, I'm, I'm going – gonna go back to Harris, you know, but, but I, I mean, I realized it had been a few days. So I'm like, I'm not going to just run to where I had a bite. I'm not, I'm, I'm just going to, I've got 30 minutes, you know, we get 30 minutes from takeoff until lines in. I'm like, I'm going to use this time to side image. I'm going to run. I'm going to look for birds. I'm just going, I'm just going to treat today like a practice day. I'm just going to, when, when I see something looks good, that's what I, where I'll start at. Um, and I rode some, and I side imaged. I marked some brush piles. I, I found some offshore hydrilla, put some waypoints on some of that stuff. And I rode by the shoreline. I marked, saw where some birds were and different stuff. And I'm running down through there, and there's like this one dot that's got a bunch of birds on it. And they're like down on the on the cross beams, picking bait out of the water and stuff. Um, so I'm up on the shoreline behind them. I mean, there's like eight or ten birds on and all around this one dock. And there was that'd be a bird here and a bird there, but when there was like eight or ten around this dock, I'm like, that looks that looks interesting. So I ride on down. And there's some more pretty stuff, and it's like five minutes till lines in. I'm like, well, I'm, I mean, that looks as good as anywhere. I roll back over there, and it's Kissimmee grass, and it leads up to this dock, and then it kind of opens up like beyond this this to the left on this shoreline. I'm gonna say, and uh, I put my talons down. And I'm, you know, I've got like three minutes before lines in. I'm just kind of checking my stuff, and, and a fish poosh, blows up over here, and it's a Kissimmee grass. Mm-hmm. Dang, that's cool. One over here, goosh. Oh and then over there, it's a boat dock. Boosh. I'm gonna be around some. Looks like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so like, this looks pretty good. And uh, I mean, it, you know, it gets to gets the time for lines in. I've got a swim jig in my hand. And he casts me down like lines in. Turn the hydrowave on just yet. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even have to click it on yet. And uh, I, I mean, cast me down lines in that. And this one fish on this point right in front of me blew up four or five times in the last two or three minutes. Did I throw in there? I moved my bait six inches, thunk, and the fish hits and I, I jerk miss it. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, I had a bite on my very first cast. Well, that dock, I, I, I ease up there to it and I swim jig this little point, nothing other than missing that one. Well, the side of this dock, I can, I can throw right down the side of it with with a crankbait, like it's so it's got just a little lane. Yeah, I saw. Is this the magic dock that you mm-hmm. kind of hang onto? Yeah, I saw yeah. the opening there. Yeah, yeah. So there was a little lane down the side of it. I, I throw slim down through there, catch like a two seven. I mean, we're two minutes, three minutes into the day or whatever. Right. Yes, I'm like, you know, I'm I'm not quite up to the cuts yet. Next cast or two casts later, catch a two four. I'm like, 
okay, I should be in the cut now, you know. And then a couple casts later, and, and a fish has blown up back over here a couple times. I'll throw over there. I think that was the next one. I caught was like a 313. I'm like, dang, I am rolling. I mean, we're eight minutes. It's all on the crankbait. Yes. All three of those were on the on OG Slim, yeah. OG Slim. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm eight minutes in the day, and I've caught four, and I've caught eight pounds or something, you know. Um, well, that that dock, they had, they had fed around it a little bit. Well, what was funny, and, and this is something that for the people watching to really pay attention to, the water was extremely off-colored there. I don't know if it was an algae bloom, if it was from the wind, all of the above. They've sprayed a lot of grass there. I don't know, but the water was extremely off-colored. Um, and I knew that there was a shad spawn or whatever these bait were that was spawning going on. But, and I'm seeing them flipping. I mean, seeing them up around a little bit and seeing plenty of fish feed already. But it actually ended up an hour into the day, there were more bait active an hour into the day than there was in that 30 minutes before lines in. I mean, I'm, I'm there. It's like we take off. We took off of that event. You didn't really have to have your lights in, but we took off a few minutes before sunrise. So it's, you know, it's not bright daylight yet. Well, an hour into the day, once the sun is clearly up, the bait was the most active and that but uh, had to be a product of that off colored water. Um, and I've seen that before. I've seen it when the water is especially cool, but you've got a shad spawn. Right. And I've seen it when the water is especially dirty and you've got a shad spawn that it actually picks up into the morning a little bit before it dies off. So, you know, so many people hear about it or like, you know, bait fish on it, you know, shad spawn first 30 minutes a day and so forth. Well, not in every situation. Sometimes it does end really quick, but not in every situation. Um, but yeah, that, that dock basically where I started between OG Slim, between a swim jig, um, between that prototype swim jig, all those between all those baits there, end up catching between thirty and forty pounds off of that one dock. Wow. And I, this ain't a marina. I mean, this is like a a guy's personal dock. Down one side of it has five poles, and I caught fish off of every pole. Oh my gosh! Wow. Pretty, <laughs> yeah. Pretty, um, pretty special dock, I would say. It, it was that day. The next day, it was not. Um, I, I don't know that I scored one off of it the rest of the tournament. But that day there, those fish were absolutely loaded on. And I just, it was about a two, day two of the tournament, my first day on Harris. Your first day on Harris. And so, yeah. okay. Yeah. So and you went into a knockout round yeah. after that, and it was not on. No. Which I, I was group B, so I fished the next day for knockout round and then championship round was the very next day and they never showed up there again like that so so uh hey it's greg de palma how you doing buddy um yeah. so do you think it was wind driven what, what do you think caused it i do i do think wind had a lot to do with it great i think um i think so this was in an area and part of the reason why i decided to go to that side of the lake um was because when we'd had all that wind in practice in the first couple of days of the tournament. Um, really, this was this was the second day it had been calm. Okay, so Group A's second day it calmed down. So this was the very next day it was calm, two days of flat water. Um, but all that wind we'd had was like an east-northeast wind. It had a lot of east in it. Well, this was on kind of the south shoreline, so it's catching some of that north, but it was also 
you know, a lot of it had a little hook to it that caught a lot of, had a little bit of a westerly hook to it. So it caught a lot of that east wind as well. My, my thought process of going there was nobody fished this in practice. Nobody fished it the first two days of the tournament because it was, it would have been pounded so bad for that wind. Even if you had fished it, you couldn't have fished it effectively. So I most definitely think the wind had something to do with it. You know, it, it had laid down at this point, but maybe it had, you know, it had some residual current or something working through that area. Yeah, I like it. Well, I know we got a lot of questions, um, and I want to let the guys get theirs, theirs in with, with Ott before we kind of move on. But, uh, Riz, you got any anything? Yeah, so uh, I'm going to go to a question from Team No Fish here on the board. And um, he wants to know, um, Ott, what is it about those OG Slim crankbaits that make them an effective tool uh, all year long? Um, I mean, a lot of people think of a flat-sided crankbait to be something that goes away when the water starts to warm up and you get past that pre-spawn period, why is that OG Slim so effective? And uh, Team No Fish, you won yourself a Gills Gear gift card for that question. Nice, great question. Yeah, that, that is a great question. And I'll be I'll be honest in saying this: I'm very I have I have been very guilty myself of putting up my flat-sided baits once that water hits you know 60, 65 degrees. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've done that a lot. That, there'll be situations, especially on rivers. Um, we fish a river system. I put them back in the boat. Um, but I had put them in the boat um, for this event because I just, I, I thought that, I thought that it would be in the right depth range as much as anything. Um, you know, the, the max is out that, that slim will run about six feet or so. Um, so that was kind of why I had put them in the boat for this event. Um, but it, it's, man, it's just a natural action. It's got enough action for warm water. It's got, you know, toned down enough action that works in cool water. I think it's really a pretty good mix. Um, and then the fact that it is a six-foot diving bait, you know, you can fish it in two-foot, which I did hear some, um, and you can fish it out to five or six, you know, so it really does really does make it pretty versatile. But it's the the thing to me, a couple of big factors, is is that it doesn't have rattles. I'm such a fan of a of a quiet bait all the time. Um, that's one re one reason I love balsa. I just like that like that material above anything else for for a bait, um, and I think that that helps a lot. But the fact that it doesn't have rattles um, that was something that I wanted in it to be a quiet bait because on a place, man, we all know anywhere we fish anymore are, are more pressured than they've ever been. Um, Called the coronavirus effect, but but you know more people more people fish, and and my thought process with baits in general has has definitely shifted. In the last few years, you can take a really good natural bait and you're going to catch the smart fish that are harder to catch. Plus, you're still going to catch the dumb ones that are pretty easy. Or if you take a really loud, obnoxious bait, you're only going to catch the dumb ones. So use something that's more natural to catch the smart ones and the dumb ones. That's kind of, kind of my thought process is that you, you know, use something that's, that's more realistic, even in situations where you think you need something with, you know, that is more aggressive or something. But that's kind of my thought process there. It's it's kind of like that old saying about the two bulls, the young bull and the old bull that stood up on the hill. That is exactly right. Yeah, and the old bull said, we'll walk down and get them all or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. The young bull said, I'm going to run down there and get me one. The old bull said, no, I'll, we'll walk in and get them all. Let me go back to this. I mean, I, I, I love the point you made and it's a great point. But you're telling me Ott Defoe doesn't use any baits with rattles. 
Like, are you applying had- the top water and everything else too, or are we just talking crankbaits? No, mostly crankbaits. I, I do. I absolutely use top waters. It's got some loud, obnoxious rattles in them at times. Um, I, I have some of my favorite ones are quiet. Um, you know, some old ones that I've got that are totally silent baits. Um, but I've caught a lot of fish on on a loud rattling bait as well. But especially with a crankbait, I mean, I, I definitely feel like it. Especially with a crankbait, is that it? You know, natural is is always going to be going to be better. Now, like at Raver, <clears throat> I mean, just to, for instance, at Raver, I caught a lot of fish there on a on a square bill, a prototype OG that's going to be coming out in a couple of years. Um, and I'm fishing, uh, listen, I'm fishing a place where there are hundreds, if not thousands of bass, like in, in a place the size of the front deck of my boat. I'm catching a fish every throw, and I can catch them on a square bill. I can catch them on a bladed jig. I catch some on a spinner bait. I catch some on a wacky worm. I catch them on a lot of different things. I threw slim there. They did not bite it. Go figure. I, I don't understand, but I could throw a square bill in there and catch one, or DT4, and catch one almost every throw. Go figure. I, I don't know what to tell you. But, do you think that has to do with like mood of the fish? It, I mean, it must. It wow. absolutely must. Wow. Yeah. And the, and that was, I mean, I, I had slam tied on in practice for this event in Florida. It was the first shallow crankbait I threw. And by the first dock that I threw it by, I caught two. So my confidence in it was all, I mean, it's good. But it instantly went way, way up, you know. So, I mean, that was, it was, it was what I had tied on. I threw it, fish bit it. I'm like, okay, I'll throw slim. <clears throat> you know, it, it, it was one of those deals where I didn't try a lot of other stuff beyond that. Yeah. Well, I, I have to say that was a great question by Team No Fish. I, I'm, I'm fairly good at uh, guessing what major techniques are going to, you know, win. You know, I would have had Bobby Lane's pegged as a top two or three technique. Yeah, he even released <clears throat> select selecting action on your worms class the week of the tournament because I felt like he was going to have a great tournament and it was going to be, yep. you know. But I would have never <clears throat> said that side crankbait was going to go everything. Never. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I have to agree. I would not have thought that that would have been. But you had it tied on. <laughs> I, I had it tied on, and and I can't completely say that. I I really. I'll tell you why I had it tied on. I tied it on because I thought I would crank that offshore hydrilla with it. That's mm-hmm. what I had it tied it on for. Because because that, that circuit board lip on that bait is so thin, it cuts that stuff better than than a, a lot of plastic lips do. Um, There's that day. that was why I had it tied on. To be quite honest. Wow. Uh, what are you? How are you fishing that kind of bait when you're throwing it over grass also <clears throat> crankbait? Like when you start to feel it, like get hung up like i mean i've seen guys do it different ways like fishing with mike like when he gets hung up in grass he like has like this amazing crazy violent snap where he goes yeah you're like do you just kind of pull it and feather it through or do you have to like snap it out really hard how, how do you fish that well keep in mind nothing i do is as exaggerated as what mike Iconelli does <laughs> <laughs> step number one <laughs> uh, but, but no i i i'll rip it out aggressively i absolutely do yeah I, when i feel it starting getting into it and i feel the bait foul i mean i i snap i absolutely snap the rod i mean you know that, that that's the way i fished is, is I, I don't try to just pull it a little and shake it free i mean I, I i snap it very aggressively to try to get that bait to clear off 
do you when you're fishing that way do you have to uh adjust your line size height and and also hooks do you have to change your hooks when you're doing <clears throat> it in addition to your line size I, I run the i run the same you know the, pretty much the same setup all the time um i run the same if i can fish 14 on it that's what i'm gonna fish um on slam that's what i throw most of the time but if i'm noticing that i'm like this constantly in that grass i will upsize that line to shallow the bait up some mm. you know if, i mean if this is the bait this is what they're wanting i'll draw i'll step up to 17 to try to lose a foot of depth or just make a you know make it a conscious effort to not cast as far i mean that's that's with a crankbait that's something i think a lot of us overlook we always want to bomb it out there just as far as we possibly can if if you know that your bait's diving too deep Let's make a conscious effort to not cast quite as far if you don't have to. If the fish are not boat shy, just don't cast it quite as far. Keep your rod tip up, and you'll be able to fish that bait shallower. Um, now hooks, I always run the same hooks. Um, those, those hooks that come on, OGs, um, that, that's, those are the hooks that I use on them. That's, a, that's such a great thing that I wanted to do with that line of baits, um, with, with all the baits we'll have in that OG line. Is the hooks that come on there. Is, are the ones that I use. So every, I, I can take it. I can take an OG slam out of pack, put it in my box. It's ready to tie on. That's that's a great part with those. Is those short shank number three VMCs that are on there. That's as good as you'll put on, in my opinion. Yeah. Do we got, we want to throw another uh, subscriber question in there, Riz? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the uh, next question I'm going to go with is uh, from Coach Prince. Uh, he's going to win himself a Gills Gear gift card for this question, um, and he wants you to. Uh, Talk a little bit about, uh, or if you can, uh, a, a new bladed swim jig that you might have uh, <laughs> on the markets. And uh, also, what was your trailer that you were using on the prototype bladed swim jig? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah a couple of the easy questions there um, on that. Uh, I, used, I used a 3 eighths and a half ounce both. Um, I, I started with the 3 eighths to start with, to be quite honest. They're, they're homemade. I, I've made the ones I was fishing with. I've fabricated them up myself in the garage. Um, yeah. I didn't have very many of them. I didn't plan on using that in this event. I didn't think it'd be that big of a deal. I'm running pretty low on them. They're a pain in the butt to make. I've not <laughs> made any in a few years. And uh, and so I, I was, was fishing with a 3 8 because I was fishing like a foot deep, foot and a half deep with it. Um, but towards the end of the week, I got to running low on 3 8 So I switched to half. They bit it just the same. Um, you know, rigged up the way that I had it. And it was all bait fish color, shad color. I, I caught some on a straight white. I caught some on a glimmer blue. Caught one on like a blue shad. Um, one I had a little bit of green and some chartreuse. The exact color didn't really matter too much as long as it was bait fish. But I was fishing a Bass Pro three inch speed shad trailer on the back of it, just that, that little small swim bait. Because um, it is, it's a compact deal. It imitates small bait fish extremely well. That's what makes that little bait. Um, really really effective if they're targeting bigger bait fish you'll catch fish on it but when they're targeting those little small bait fish like they were there i mean a lot of that stuff they were eating was an inch and a half long um it it imitates that stuff really really well um, and that's that's what i was doing with it but uh but yeah it, it does it does have blades um i would call it a swim jig um but uh, that's about as much as i really really want to say about it, other than it, it's one that i fabricated up and it was with, I have been working on it with Terminator for about a year now to try to get it right. And, and we, we've still just struck out to this point. Um, 
I was, I was talking with Dan Quinn with Rapala on the way down here today. And I said, you know, what's funny is I'll, I'll look at that bait and it probably slim, probably accounted for about 40% of my fish throughout the week. And that, that swim jig probably accounted for 50%. Uh-huh. I caught a few on a top water. I caught a few on another, on a just regular pro, uh, pros jig, swim jig, um, swimming this. Um, I caught some on the Terminator, the heavy duty swim jig. Um, but, that that other little bait accounted for pro- more than slim, but you know there was a few other fish that factored in there too. So, um, but that yeah, I've been working on it. That's what I was telling Dan. I was like, here's the bait that won the tournament, but the way it looks right now, it looks like I made it in the garage. It would never hang on the shelf of Bass Pro Shops looking like what it looks like right now. But it won the tournament. I mean, right. it, the, the fish didn't right. care. But it, it uh it's not it's not really uh ready for packaging just yet. Well, I got a couple of follow up questions. That let's move on to the from the fact that you uh, had a bait that probably nobody else in the field had. So that was probably cool. Just you know whether it was a different action or just you know whatever. We can't wait to see what that bait does special in a couple of years or whenever it's going to come come to us. But man, you yeah, when we see it, you got one in your pocket there, right? I don't. I don't have one on me. I don't. Come on, man. That's twenty twenty three. BTC. Empty your pockets right now. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, all right, man. You mentioned. Uh, let's get to the stuff we can all take the lessons from here. Besides waiting two years for a bait. <laughs> you, mentioned, you mentioned small bait. Okay, this is one of my follow up questions with this. Did you have to trim it up to like trim your skirt up tight, or did you do anything special modification wise? besides the small trailer to really make these fish. I mean, you said a bait, right. then you said color really didn't matter. You know, did you do anything to kind of match the hatch, if you will, with that small? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely did. Yeah. The, the, the overall profile of that thing, I mean, with the trailer and all, you know, I'm three and a quarter, you know, I was using that whole speed shad on it, but it's only three inches. And then wow. you've got you've got the skirt and the head. I had the skirt trimmed just just to the hook, you know, the bend of the hook, um, that type of stuff. But here's what's funny with that is that, you know, I'm throwing a bait fish colored, imitating these bait fish swim jig. Looks very much like them in my opinion. You know, a lot of size, everything about it. Um, but then I'm also throwing slim in a lot of the same areas, mm-hmm. catching fish that are feeding on these same little bitty tiny bait. Mm-hmm. Slim's not little. I mean, it's it's a pretty good sized bait. Um, yeah. You know, it's and and I was throwing it and chartreuse colors like the new a new color brim, hot copper shad. I did throw I did throw copper green shad on the last day. Feel yeah. like the water cleaned just a little bit. Um, but I'm throwing a chartreuse crankbait where I'm catching fish on a white swim jig. The thing with bass, which you always got to keep in mind, and and then I'll reference this to something I did back in the fall. Bass are opportunistic feeders. They're you know they're they're not just feeding on these bait fish and saying if a bluegill swim swims by I'm not going to eat him because I'm targeting bait fish right now or if a, a crawdad swims out of a hole he's going to say oh I don't want to eat that crawdad I'm only targeting bait fish right now that's not what they do you know there was this this past fall in Douglas I saw this blatantly obvious uh, Parker and I were up there fishing and and we're fishing these mud flats super super shallow water mud flats. Water is extremely dirty, um, but these these bass are targeting same kind of deal. I mean, bait that are like inch and a half, two inches long shad, 
and we tried this that swim jig we tried a little crankbase we tried a lot of stuff and you'd catch a fish now and again you don't know what our best bait was most effective fishing for fish that we can see that are visibly feeding on shad was a black and blue bladed jig mm-hmm. i didn't look like anything we could see them feeding on but there were crawdads in there too i'm sure and the best thing we could imitate that we could get bit on was a black and blue bladed jig it was not i mean a chatterbait you know not 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 at a swim jig deal it was right. a you know so i mean we're, we're watching fish blow up on bait fish throwing a black and blue chatterbait in there and catching Wow. That they're they're opportunistic feeders. You know that was just the most effective tool for the job. The way this mud was sealed and everything else, you throw a chatter, you throw a crankbait in there, and instantly you got leaves on the hooks. You it's it's not effective. Yeah, you could throw that that blade of jig in there, and it was effective, even though it didn't imitate what they were feeding on. Yeah, well, getting back to that, man, I love getting into these details, but. Because I, I truly believe they matter when, when you tell me it's accounting to 50 to 60% of your fish in the tournament. I mean, a three-inch speed shad, guys, is like, don't think 3.8 Kitek. Think 2.8 Kitek. I mean, it is a tiny, tiny profile. And just to get a hook in it and out of it and leave enough tail for the right action and stuff, I got to ask you, are you a guy, because I know guys go back and forth with it, do you rig yours – like right side up or upside down on a chatterbait or a vibrator. Right yeah, right side up. Yeah, so the the tail hangs to the bottom. You know the the yeah right side up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's why I always rig mine. Yeah, I've, I've seen guys rig it the other way, and I have no idea why. Um, you know, I mean, even the color. Like I was throwing like a pro blue color, so it's got a blue back, white belly. It's like at that time I'd have a white back and a blue belly. That yeah. just would confuse me crazy. Yeah, I think the school of thought, I guess, would be one might give you more lift when the other one might keep it more down. Maybe with the, okay. with the bigger size ones, I guess, is what I've heard guys debate on. But it's just a debate. They're all catching the same fish. So, right. uh, yeah. GDP, I want to swing it over to you if you've got anything for, for Ott right now. Yeah, I do, actually. You know, Ott, this yes. is your, your second win this year, right? That's right, yeah. So do you think your decision-making in this tournament where you just said you just won it because, you know, you saw no guys there in practice, is that what's making you think, you know, winning more? Is that what's changing, you think, or what? I, I definitely do. Yeah, I definitely do, Greg. I, I think it's just, you know, confidence in your decisions like that. I was, we had our – we're at Chickamauga getting ready for our next event here. And, um, you know, I, I had – that day on Griffin, when I had loaded up, Tommy Biffle was there and – uh and he, you know, he'd had, I think he was an ounce ahead of me. Um, and he just made the comment there when we loaded up. He said, man, I've got a decision. You know, man, I got a tough decision to make before we come back out here in a couple of days. I'm like, I don't. I ain't coming back to this place. I mean, it was, you yeah. know, I mean, it, it was an easy. Now, I had had a day of practice on Harris. I had I had other places to go. So it wasn't like I was going blind. But, um, but yeah, the decision making. And then like that, that day on Harris, just to say, I'm not going to run. I had a bite over here. I'm not going to run straight to this place to try to, you know, to try to recapture what happened four days ago. I'm just, I'm, I know how I want to fish here. I'm just going to go look for somewhere that fits that bill. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I do too. So, sounds like uh, winners rest their laurels on winning fish and keep searching until they find them. Yeah, that, that's just that's that's the whole deal. That that really is right there. That that was. I knew 
and that's why I'm glad I didn't have a decent day on Griffin because I would have hoped yeah. for a decent tournament at that point. That's in in our format, especially the having those resets where you just got to make the cut and it gets back to zero. You just got to make the cut and it gets back to zero. Then you get to the final day. That's the day you got to win. Um, but it, I mean, that translate into a five fish tournament too. You know, you could, you could make a big comeback, but that's, that's the great thing with ours is that that first day, I mean, whatever, I'd love to have had a great start and, and had, you know, know I was going to automatically make the championship or whatever, but I, I was just as well off as Brett Hyatt. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really was, you know, who, who caught 80 some pounds his first day. I, I was in a lot of ways. I was just as well off. I actually, I was more dangerous because I was still on the look. I, I was still trying to find them. And that's, you know, that that's in, in our events. And I think that's why I've kind of learned that in the last couple of years, I call it fishing offensively or defensively in ours, man. If, if you're fishing defensively, even if you're in the lead on the final day, but you start fishing defensively to where you're like, man, if I can catch four more this period, I, I think I can hang on and win. You're going to get beat. That's right. just the way it is. Because, that, because the guy that's down there in fifth, sixth, seventh place, he's looking. He's out looking. And you let these guys look enough, that's bad news for somebody who's just trying to catch a couple more and hang on to it. Yep. It's almost a free feeling when you have like a really bad – I mean, it's, it was it's not a great feeling, but like it, you, you, you kind of fish – free when you have a really bad first day and it's like well i can't do any worse than i did yesterday it's only going to go up and it and it kind of it can snowball and you once you get rolling it just things start to happen you start making those decisions and you start feeling good about what you're doing and what i want to know is so you know we heard about your your day where you were on the magic dock and you alluded that when you ended going into that next day that that dock it wasn't really going on for you what did you have to do like what was your what was your adjustment you know you went to mm-hmm. that dock and it, they weren't firing something had changed yeah. yeah what did you do to keep things going get the momentum going back again get a couple fish in the boat and then you're rolling you're rolling yeah. to win the tournament. yeah absolutely that and that on that on my on the second day when i called them so good off that dock um there was like a 200 yard stretch that, I mean, I, I went up and down through there and I'd catch fish, just I'd catch fish at this dock. I'd catch fish at this corner of the seawall, blah, 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 you know, all the way down through there. I, I, so it wasn't like that dock was the only place I got bit. I had 60 some pounds a day, but I've caught 30 or 40 of it off this dock. So I caught 20, 30 pounds in other, other areas down through there as well. So, um, so I just, yeah, that first dock didn't do much. I just start working my way down through there. And boom, start, you know, get to this next cypress tree and catch one, go around the corner and catch another one. So I got to rolling pretty good back and forth. Um, and, and a big thing was, too, the fish kept showing me that they were there. I mean, you'd get – and there were certain little corners or certain places. That it was insane how many fish would come up feeding on that bait. It was unbelievable. Um, I, I don't know if they showed much footage of that or not, but – it was incredible how many fish were in 18 inches, two feet of water that would come up on these seawalls pushing bait around. So it made it easy to stick around because I knew the fish were still there. Uh, it wasn't like I was fishing blind and just wondering if I was ever going to catch one again. I knew I was throwing in front of them. Um, and it was just working back and forth up and down that stretch. The, really the, the, the big adjustment. Um, so the, on, the, on my uh, second day of qualifying, I, I tried to run Bobby Lane down, 
and it got to like up in the in the third period and he, he got away from me again and i was like well i'm not gonna do that so i i moved down offshore i actually went out and fished some offshore hydrilla and i not well, a couple fish i caught were non-scorable they were small fish and i wrote that off completely at that point i'm like once it because the the morning deal was definitely best on the sea walls and the docks and that stuff definitely a morning thing was best you catch fish all day but morning was strong but i tried that a little bit on that day i'm like okay that's out the window i won't i won't even worry with that anymore so on my knockout day going into the third period i i had got myself in a position where i was comfortable i want to say it was like 35 37 pounds and i'm like i'm going to make the cut at this point if if i catch one or two more fish the rest of the day um so my practicing on that day was i went out to some more isolated docks that did stick out into four or five six feet of water and i caught like one off the first one go to the next one and catch two go to the next one and catch a four pounder I'm like okay so now i've got i feel like i had something that worked well in the third period on these deeper outside ends to these docks you know to to get out there to make an adjustment um and that was kind of what I was getting ready to do on the championship day when the the other adjustment that ended up happening ended up leading me, you know, into the winning place. And that was, so I had say a 200 yard stretch I've been fishing back and forth on. Um, to where I, I didn't start there the final day. I started on a place where the wind was blowing that I thought would be better trying to make a smart adjustment. And I caught seven pounds off of it, but um, it, it, it wasn't, wasn't as fast and furious and, and size wasn't what I was looking for. Go back to my main stretch and end up catching just like another at 13 pounds to end the first period. Uh, was trailing Andy by 14 pounds or something. Um, and going into the second period, I make like one more pass down through here. I might have caught one. I don't also remember. I get to the end of what, what I've been fishing. Okay. And I, and I tell my, uh, my boat official and cameraman, I'm like, one more cast, guys, we're going to move. I make one more cast, I catch a non-scoreable. Like, huh, okay. I'm like, hold on, let me make a couple more throws. A couple more throws, the fish actually blows it up on the next little grass point. I get a throw to it, throw up, catch a 2-5. Like, well, let's just keep fishing. Because I'm right behind me is the dock that I caught 40 pounds off of. So, I mean, I'm just continuing beyond that, but I haven't been fishing this way. Um, just a Kissimmee grass line that goes for like 300 yards before you get to the next dock. Another 100 yards up there or so, maybe I catch another scoreable. Well, I get nearly to those other docks, and I'm like right on the edge of the Kissimmee grass, man, just all of a sudden lots of bait. Boom, catch a three-pounder. Like, okay. I dip in shallow, catch a two-and-a-half. Go around this dock, go to the next side, catch another two-and-a-half. Like, okay, yeah, I'm around some again. And that... I mean, catching that non-scorable when I was about to pull the trolling motor that made me just fish that way, that's a lot of the reason that that last period went the way it did. Yeah, because that we're talking the that last period, you did what now? You caught. <laughs> I, I was. You went so, nuts on, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in the last, it was really about the last 45 minutes of the second period, I went from – uh, 18, 17, 18, 20 pounds to 32. Yeah. And then went from 32 to 73 in the last period. Yeah. 41 <laughs> in the last period. Yeah. 
That's that's unbelievable. And it was all in th- that period. It was all OG Slim. No, it was it was about half and half. half it was about half, half and half. half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was it was pretty close to half and half. Yeah, a lot of those. The, Sorry, uh, I I had to ask that. You uh you keep talking about the crank in the docks thing and stuff throwing up beside them. Mm-hmm. I know you're about one of the best casters with a crankbait there is. Were you putting that crankbait way up under that dock at times? Uh, as many of them as I possibly could. You know, a lot of those docks were so low, I had to throw that swim jig in there because I could skip it. Oh. Um, but if I was able to get the, to get slim under those docks, it was a way better bait to trigger those fish with. Not, I mean, not even close. I'm like, if, if I could put this bait everywhere I want to, it wouldn't even compare. I mean, it really wouldn't have, um, but because you just get so much more of a reaction by that level. But there were so many places. Yeah, I mean, it, it's flat sided, but it doesn't skip like a flat rock. <laughs> um, you know, so it, it, it would be nice if it did. But um, but yeah, it, it's just it's a total different look. I mean, I was throwing it a lot of places, and I, 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 I I'm, I'll make some good cast here and there. But I had some arrow ones too, and it's a balsa wood bait. And if you're throwing it hard. It, it doesn't always come back the same way you went. It went under there. Um, but, uh, and, and that was part of the reason I ended up having to change color some throughout the week was, was from, you know, taking a toll on them on, on some of those docks. But, uh, yeah, there were a lot of fish I caught under those docks on, on slim when I could get it under. Them. So, so was that a big key then was getting mm-hmm. it up under the dock and bringing it out as opposed to paralleling those docks, like you'd see most crankers do with docks. Yeah, absolutely. There were only a couple docks where I caught fish actually cranking the outside of those poles. Um, that dock where I caught so many, I caught some on the outside of it, but it was, it was way, I caught way, way, way more fish. Those were all pole docks. They weren't floating docks. They were all on poles. So if you imagine looking at the outside, like you got the outside set and then the next set in or the set after that, the ones that were completely in the shade. You know, like that outside set may have the sun to the outside, you know, so the backside of those posts are shaded where you get to the next one back and it's under the platform enough that even the, the, you know, the cast of the shade, those, those poles are completely in the shade. That one, or even the next one back that was really dark. Those were the ones that were most important to, to get your bait right beside. And that, that was a big deal that, that water was so dirty. You wouldn't catch a fish between the poles. You had to have your bait against the poles. Whichever set of poles it was, you need to have your bait against the poles. That was the strike zone. Wow. So you had to make contact with it in the shade up under the dock. And that's why a lot of times that jig was was better option. But man, yeah. I, how do you how do you even do that? I mean, you can't touch the water, I'm, I'm guessing. So you gotta throw that thing as like a straight line. Is it is it it's it's not just a regular roll cast, is it? How do you get that bait into those places? Yeah, it it you know those docks that were up foot and a half off the water, those are the ones I, I could I could get enough foot trajectory under there. It's it is more of a side arm, just a straight side arm than it really is a roll cast with with so much lift, you know, to try to let that bait skip and then carry like that. It's it's more of a just a knife cut, you know, a, a trajectory to try to get under there because even too if you try to cast it and let your line hit the top of the dock, a lot of times that would cause your bait to lift and then hit the underside of the dock. So it, it, yeah, it's much more of just a straight knife cut to the side. That's kind of what you're trying to do. Wow. 
Well, just another um, another lesson for us all to remember that uh, even with all the advances in technologies and baits that people don't have and yada, 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 practicing your fundamentals, casting and everything. And I, you know where I'm from, it, out down yep. here with all the dock fishing that we got to do. If you can't put multiple types of baits way up under something, you're, you're a donator, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the guy I looked up to a lot, you know, growing up fishing, um, uh, Craig Powers. I mean, he's excellent with a with a pop bar. He's like on shallow water tournaments. If you're if you're a better caster than most of this field out here, you're going to beat eighty percent of them eighty percent of the time. Just by being a better caster, it doesn't matter what the rest of your decision making is, what you got on the end of your line. If you're throwing a jig, if you're throwing a spinner bait, if you're throwing a pop bar, whatever it is, if you're making a better cast than most of these guys out here, you're going you're, you're going to beat them most of the time in a shallow water tournament, regardless of what you got tied on. Yeah, and you did it at an open water fishery, what normally is an open water fishery. Yeah, yeah, and that, that was that was a funny thing. I went into that event expecting it to be that. I, I expected to fish brush piles and offshore hydrilla and shell beds. That's what I was planning on doing when I got there. Um, I had no idea, honestly. There was something going on that there's it was weird for there to be that many fish that big and that shallow water. There really was. I, I don't know what environmental factors they've got going on down there, but the water being as off colored as it was wow. had something to do with it. Sprayed, spraying the grass or I don't, I don't know. There was something going on, but I mean, I'm, I'm glad that it all worked out the way it did because it put them up there where, where I was able to find them. But it, it was an odd deal for those fish to be doing what they were doing. No question. Yeah, this this 2021 was a has been a weird year. It seems like everywhere you guys have been, everywhere the Elite Series has been. I know Greg, you were just talking about Gunnersville being weird, um, you know, and everything I've experienced is the same way. These fish aren't on aren't on schedule. They're not on everybody's calendar in 2021. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the South. Um, GDP, I want to I want to send it back to you. You guys, you guys are hitting all my points, man. You guys are doing good. <laughs> I got a pretty good question here on the board um, from Jake Rash, and he wants to know: Ah, do you tune your crankbaits um, to run left or That's right good. when you're fishing yeah. around docks? That's a very good question. When, when you're doing that, um, I don't. I, I always tune my bait to run the run straight because I, I don't want to have to lay the rod down every single time. Now, had had I not, had I been fishing docks that I could never get the bait underneath, you know, if it was all pole docks, but the water was say six inches or a foot higher and I'm not able to get the bait underneath any of them, it probably would have made sense to have one bait running left, one bait running right, just to be able to make perfect contact with those outside poles or as much contact as you could with those outside poles. But for me, I don't know if it's laziness or whatever, if you're going to tell me I've got to, okay, to fish this dock correctly, you're going to have to have two different rods. And and don't forget, you're going to have to keep them straight in your head. I guess you'd lay one on one side of the boat deck, one on the other. One of them runs left, one of them runs right to keep them straight. Um, but for me to I, – I want to take this one rod, and I'm just going to – I'm going to make as good a cast as I can. I'm going to hold my rod tip over and and try to, you know, pull that bait that way or, or vice versa, pull it over to the right. Um 
you know, to, to do whatever I can to, to drive that bait into it. Because if I've got the bait that runs left, but now I'm on the left side of the dock, it's running away from the poles. I'm really having to fight that thing to try to keep it anywhere, anywhere within the realm. I'm going to have to lay that rod down and get the other one. I'm just, I'm more likely to, I want to make that bait run straight and try to do the driving with my rod tip as much as possible. That's, that's one thing that, uh, you know, that people should definitely keep in mind too. use the whole front deck of your boat. You wouldn't believe the difference in your casting and retrieve angles. You step up on the, at the trolling motor, you make the cast, you step back to the console just how much you can change where that bait's going to go. I'll just don't just stand here and point your rod that way. Step all the way back over the console, dude. You can completely change where that bait's going to end up. Um, that's something I do a lot when I'm fishing, fishing docks and stuff like that. Any type of cover where I'm trying to make a very precise, you know, presentation or, or retreat with it, I'll use the whole deck of the boat to do that. Nice. Wow, you want to throw another one at? I got some stuff over here, JK. Okay, yeah, hit it. BTC. All right, I got a couple things. I'm going to throw this thing out here first because it's likely to be a mess, and uh, and we'll see where it goes. Um, according to the great and powerful <laughs> mind of the mighty that's... Ken Duke, Ot Defoe <laughs> leads all competitors, all Bassmaster Classic competitors who have fished eight or more, and it might be five or more, yes, five or more Classic appearances. Ot has the best winning percentage now. The question is, and the answer must be, and this is going to our subscribers, people, uh, subscribers, this is a grand prize question for the subscribers, Rich. So this, is for, okay. this is a big prize. But for the guys on Facebook and YouTube, we're going to send you guys something too, probably a dope BU hat or something. But the question has to be the percentile. What is Ott's winning or what uh, percentile does Ott finish in in the Bassmaster Classic? Best guess is uh, probably just start typing numbers. <laughs> wait a minute what, so, what's uh, the question I didn't follow that at all what's the person uh, yeah thanks like okay. what's my average finish is that what the question is I've got to read it to you in his words alright I bet it's an average finish question it is he averages finishing in the blank percentile yeah. so it's not what your yeah. number finishes it's percentages it's, it's Ken Duke he's got to make it crazy complicated right. so, mathematics so if yeah. first, first place would be the 100th percentile yeah if, if they were all first um, and, there, and you got to think about it there's only ever 50 people in the classic or whatever uh, 50, gotta yeah. we got a winner no on the way yep no way we got it sean lay 80 no rich oh god come on dude he said the first part. He didn't say it. Wasn't that what we were looking for? Was a winner on all three of our percentile? Yeah, all three of our platforms tonight, so we can get everybody involved. Oh, well, you know, we teach people how to fish, not um, not be smart. Not, not use a calculator. <laughs> <laughs> Good at catching fish. Yeah. All right. Well, wherever uh, it ended hey, that, up. That's, um, and, uh, that's, one, that's one plus that I have on, on Brandon Pollock. I only I only couldn't count to five once. He's done it like three times. <laughs> Dang, man, right over my head. <laughs> no, I don't have to I listen back. Like I missed it. Brandon, Brandon has won all of the events that he did it in, too. Yeah. He said it still hasn't hurt him. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. All right, so, 
Uh, we had a question on uh, YouTube a while back. I thought it was pretty interesting because he was very detailed. This is Halo Halo on YouTube. He's got a blue black, yeah, blue back herring lake, late summer, midday, no wind with grass. What are you throwing? And are the fish feeding up or feeding down? I would say dynamite, but that's a much better question actually for Justin. I know my, I know my uh, areas of knowledge and blue back herring is definitely not one of them. Um, right. What I, what I do know, I, I mean, I'm going to say that they'd be feeding up. Um, I mean, that's just blue back herring fish almost always feed up. Um, so that's kind of my default answer to that. But if you said it was like late summer. Yeah. Midday. No, I, I would tell him, I would tell him to go to the river. I, I would tell him to, to take his boat as far upstream as it will go and try to find some current. Yeah. And, uh, and then, and then throw top water and that, or, or to a different lake. Or, or yeah, or, or the lake that's got grass in it. <laughs> or, but late summer, I would go to a river either way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that's a tough time of year. Well, I think that's, that's a, all I got. Oh. That's a great answer for sure. Uh, I got a question for you. How yeah. much? How much did it hurt not fishing the bass open on Douglas this year? <sighs> when, when I look, went back and saw uh, saw that forty three pounds won it, which not Douglas has been fishing extremely tough um, the last few years. It, it definitely has. The, the weights have been have, have fell off the last couple of years there. Um, but when I saw forty three pounds won it for four or for three days, I was like. Yeah, you know that, that might that I might could have scrounged that maybe I ain't gonna say I would know what would have, but uh, but yeah, I might could have scrounged that up. But I was turkey hunting a lot then, so I didn't miss it too bad. That's that's something that has become a a, a new uh, addiction for me. That, that's for sure. I, I absolutely love turkey hunting, so yeah. I probably it would have been a at best a toss up because I like turkey hunting that much. Um, you know, so it would have been right in the middle of that. But yeah, it's. That is a fun place. Now, you all, uh, did you fish that, Greg? I did not, no. no. You didn't? Okay. No, that, they hit it really, really weird. So we had had, right before that, we had had big, big rains. The lake shot up to, like, summer pool. By the time the tournament got there, they had sucked it back down probably 10 or 12 feet. And, like, during the tournament, it actually leveled off and slowly started to begin to, to rise back a little bit. So it, I would have had very minimal um you know, uh, advantage to be quite honest, because it was so screwy. Um, you know, so it, yeah, it, it, it kind of stung because it wasn't like anybody blew it out, had yeah. something crazy special that they, that they wanted with. But I, yeah, my man, my, my local advantage would have been minimal just because the conditions were so screwy. I bet. So what, what did you win? Two or three in a row so far there for the opens bass? On the opens, I won two in a row, one seventeen, and I won one in fourteen. But then I won one in seventeen and eighteen. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and those were both in the fall. Um, you know, th those were both the the time of year. Like he, he was mentioning, late summer. Those were both September events, and uh, and the first one, given the rules that Bass had with boat regulations at the time, and the boat that I that I had and what it was capable of, had I not won that one. I would have been extremely disappointed. Okay. Um, I mean, I really would have. That's just that was, that's like the time of the year. Uh, I, you know, if I, if I can get where I was going to go in that boat I had set up the way I had it set up, it was going to go where I needed it to go. I would have been very 
very, I'd have been very surprised as well as very upset um, if I didn't win that one. The, the next one, the very next year, water levels were, were considerably higher and, and stuff was kind of weird. I had to, uh, rules had gotten changed. I had to borrow a boat. I didn't know just how capable it was. I had a spare gear case. It was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And, 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 um, really the only reason I won that one was because they did end up sucking the water down so hard that Patrick Walters on the final day had a really tough time getting where he was going. Um, and, and I was still able to get where I was going. That's the only reason I ended up really winning that one. Um, it just it messed up his accessibility where he was going, where I was dumb enough to still run. Huh. Nah, not dumb at all. I like it. <laughs> That's right. It's Can't only dumb. It's only dumb to mess up. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah, that, that, those, river, those rivers there on, on that place. That's People ask me, they're like, what's your favorite place to fish? I always tell them Douglas. It's not because it's a world class fishery. I just know it. I just know it really well. I That's can, why I like I it. Agree with that. Yeah. Right on. So uh, we had our Facebook and uh, YouTube winner was Todd Dickinson. Shout out to the homie Todd and uh, Rich. Who was the Facebook winner? Our Facebook winner, chosen by Matt. our man Alabama Mike Reed. Yeah. Uh, was Matt Miller. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure, but uh, Mike, Mac Miller. Mike, Mike Mac Miller. That's not who I have for Mike Reed. We are really, uh, we are really all over the place here. I had Jeffrey Young. Well, they both win. Well, they all win. Everybody's yeah, a winner. Let's get him. Let's get him. Re- re- read the whole. Read the whole paragraph, and then and then get back to me with that, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anyhow, um, yeah, Jeffrey Young's our like and share winner. But ah, uh, thanks, dude. I appreciate you making. Oh, so uh, you caught one with your toe? You landed a fish with your toes? Oh yeah, let's go into that. <laughs> what the hell? Did. You land, dude. Dude, there's alligators in Florida. What are you doing getting in the water? Oh, uh, that's okay. They won't bite. They're just scared as you as you are them. So. It just depends on just how scared you are of them. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> no, that uh, I had. Uh, for the record, I hadn't seen any of this area um, since I've been there. That doesn't mean that they're not. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I, this is this is basically the same cast. I had caught a two and a half and a five twelve on ten minutes prior, and it's there's a there's a dock and there's a line of kissimmee grass and there, it's actually like two and a half feet deep right in front of it. But my boat's sitting at seventeen, which for Florida is a massive draw, obviously. Yeah. Um, and and I had trolled across these fish's head unknowingly an hour before this. Um, but I, I had fished through there. And I, I was coming back through this area and I noticed on my 360 as well as my late master map. And I'm like, man, there's, a, there's actually a break here. And I, and I had noticed this in some areas um, on Harris, you know, that there were places that were had, had some death chains and stuff to them. So I see this little deal, a pickup slam. I throw across this little point at Kissimmee grass and actually hang a nice fish two and a half, three pounder, and he pulled and come off. Dang. So I'm, I'm kind of fan casting, working this. It's an obvious break right in front of this Kissimmee grass on my 360. I'm throwing, throwing, throwing nothing. Well, I kind of just round the corner. I'm just fishing that, just throwing down the outside of the Kissimmee grass, fire cast up there between the dock and Kissimmee grass, two and a half, throw back, 512. Wow. All right. So I, I catch those. Well, then it's like they kind of, the, school kind of busted up or whatever it felt like like i when i caught the 512 like i'm reeling it down it goes thump, 
thunk, thunk. And then finally that, that big one gets, I mean, there was more than one fish in there after it, you know, Ooh. but the next five, six, 10 casts, nothing. So I move on five minutes later, he's back up there. Actually, I think I caught a scoreable, um, one twelve or something. I throw back, I hang this fish and it instantly goes towards the dock. You know, I feel it go around the pole. Dang. I kind of wait there a second, hoping it's going to swim back out. Nothing. It just keeps going deeper. <clears throat> so I take off on a trolling motor and I'm thinking, well, maybe it's just like on a splinter or something. I get in there, I reel down to it and no, it's around the other side of the pole. Dang. So I get the boat back up there to it and stop. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I can get in. I can go in for him. And I mean, and I'm kind of waiting. I'm like, well, he, he's still on there. So I, I got the rod in my hand and I, I ended up just setting it down on the deck of the boat. And I take my mic off because it's it's reading three foot or something, but you add a couple feet to that. It's, it's going to be five or six feet probably right here. Um, so I don't know just how deep I'm going to have to get, but I'm, I'm going to go in feet first. I'm not just going to cannonball off in here and, and then go <laughs> dive down, try to find my line. I'm going to just slip down in here and, you know, try to find the line. There's a, there's a crankbait down here somewhere. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to run into it in the dark. Um, but uh, so I, I just start easing out through that. I'm like, well, let me stick my feet down here, feel around this pole and see if I can find the line. And I'm running, running my feet around through there. And I'm like, okay, there, it's coming around this side. Oh, yeah. Okay, here, here's it is running out the other side of the dock. So I, I get my toes under the line, push myself back up onto the boat, and just pull the foot up, pull the line up with my foot, and get it between my legs. And, and it wasn't around anything else. It was just around that one pole. And um, he's kind of like back underneath the boat. I just hand lined him up between my legs. He took off one time. I'm like, I hope he don't hook my legs. And he's yeah. back up there. He was pretty tired by that point. Just laid up on the side and opened his mouth. I was like, got him. <laughs> That's so awesome, man. Got a face full of DMC hybrids. Short yeah. Yeah, it was, it was locked in his jaw right there perfect, just the way you'd want it. Uh, yeah. I had I had filmed on a different lake um, on, on one of my off days for my YouTube channel, and I caught a seven-and-a-half-pounder on a wacky worm and did about the same thing, except my, my, my buddy who filmed it for me, he told me after it was over with, he said, he said, take a stab. I mean, this was like, like I'm in 10 pound line, giant fish that it runs out the other side of the dock, like open the bell and throw the rod on the dock and go find the line and hand line this fish in kind of deal. But he asked me, he's like, take a stab at how long that took. And I said, four and a half minutes. He said, it was almost nine almost nine minutes to land this fish. So that'll be on my YouTube channel here before too long. Wow. It was, and it was, I guess it was practice for what came up a couple of days later. Yeah. <laughs> but, Very cool. Yeah. It, got, it was a crazy. I got to ask the follow-up question there. Cause you mentioned it a few times, but uh, you're talking about the 360 and how, I mean, it's always the debate for me when I'm fishing shallow water and stuff, whether to keep it on or not. You're in competition mode. You're obviously don't. You're not. You're not caring about the clicking sound or anything like that. I mean, mm. it's that vital. How often, for you, Ott, is it determining where you're casting? Like it. Yeah, it, it definitely varies. Most of this tournament had very little bearing on it because I'm seeing what I'm. I'm throwing under these docks at these poles. I'm throwing at the cypress trees. I'm throwing at all this stuff. 
but that last period of that last day, it, it had quite a bit to do with it. Um, and, and really led me to those fish that were out just a little bit because of what I, you know, the, the way I could see that that made a big break there. You could kind of tell it on 2d, but the, the fact that I could see, you know, really just how that was shaped on 360 before I did troll across it. Um, it, it definitely is, a, is something that I, I keep on all the time. I had it on this whole event, start to finish, never turned it off. Um, where at times I had my 2D turned off. Uh, right. I, I mean, I did. I was fishing that super shell stuff. I had my 2D cut off. But that 360, it just makes a hum. The the 2D, tick, 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 tick. you know, it, it's got that loud ticking. The two, right. the 360 just a, it's it's a real low steady. It's not that hard, you know, tick 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 kind of sound. So I, no. I always leave 360 on. Um, and in an event like that, it was. 5% of the time, 10% of the time was all that it really affected where I threw. Mm. But that, that five or 10% right there in that final period was pretty, pretty important. Yeah. No kidding. How, how does that, that um, <clears throat> the difference in the sound, uh, like, you know, obviously the fish have been hearing 2d sonar for a really long time. Mm. And this, the Humminbird 360, you know, it's been around now for the mega has been what three, Three, four years? Yeah, prob probably two or three. Yeah, probably three years on Mega, but, but the regular had been around a while before that. But it, it was so, it was a, a similar. I don't think it had the tick, you know, the kind of tick sound it either. Do you think that, like, almost like the fish haven't haven't heard that 360 sound for as long, so it doesn't necessarily bother them as much? Like, what, or do you think it doesn't even matter? I, I don't think it matters too much. Um, I, I really don't because it's, to me, it's such a low steady sound you know that tick 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 you know it, with, with the way 2d does man it's it's it varies a lot it's not as consistent it may be high pitch it may be lower pitch you know it's it's up and down that 360 is just a slow steady constant you know it, it doesn't it doesn't have those highs and lows to it I, I i'm not a scientist i'm just a bass fisherman but in my mind it doesn't seem as it doesn't seem as that it would turn fish off as much as that, as that ticking does. Um, I, you know, but yeah, I'm not a scientist in that. That's just from, that's just from seeing what I'm casting to what I'm reeling in. But, um, that, that's, that's all my scientific results have to do with. Well, were you using your hydrowave in, in conjunction with it at all? This, this? I, I, I was not in this event. Um, no, no, I, I was not. Yeah. That's that there's definitely, I've seen it play times here and there there's no doubt that i've seen the hydro wave you know turn them on and stuff um but in this this particular event just because i was fishing so 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 shallow um that i yeah i was not running any cool well i man thank you for your time we've kept you kept you long enough and man thanks for diving into the details with us i know a lot of us i know myself included have learned a lot tonight really really appreciate you taking the time with us and man from all of us here at Bashu, congratulations on yet another one. We can't wait to watch the next one come and hopefully maybe surprise you again. I bet it was fun to be surprised. So, man, congrats. Yeah, you go, man. Thank, thank you yeah, all very sure. much. That, it definitely oh. was a surprise. Yeah, yeah and you and you. the uh, OG Slim's uh, the, the uh, most sellingest uh, new bait for Rapala. <laughs> Record-breaking. Yeah. Still
get them. Still can't get them. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's been a, that's been pretty cool to see. And that's, I've had some top tens, you know, at you fall and, and other places on Bass Pro Tour and stuff um, with it. But this is the first win that it actually, you know, ha- took part in. So that, that's really cool for me. Um, it, you know, but no doubt to, to be able to have, have a win tied to slim now. Yeah, man. Yeah. You know what else would be cool? You know, it'd be cool for me. Have one. I trade you my address for one of the couple of baits. <laughs> Don't take it. <laughs> yep. You know where Mike lives? He's got a couple. For sure. He probably does, but I mean, he's got yeah. he's got guard dogs on that stuff. With me, man. Remember the Knoxville Classic that Ike won, and uh, Ike was Ike was showing us the bait that he thought he was going to win the Classic on, and it was yep. OG Slim. Yeah, it was. The time we saw that. Saw that bait before it ever came out. It was yeah. the, it was the OG OG Slim. It he was only had like yeah. one left. Had to go to Ott, and Ott was kind enough to get him a couple more. Yeah. Ott, how the, many the, the, you won on baits that you made? Great the, I mean the 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 well, I caught a lot of fish. I caught quite a few at Sam Rayburn on a square bill that I that I it's a it's a prototype. Um, at Athens, it was a DT-10, but it was in one of my, that my buddy painted, the, the pre-big shad. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess most of them. <laughs> the, the, I mean, the, the, the classic was on a was on a Rossi vibe, but I colored it with Sharpies. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess I can't win one unless it's on. I need to, need to go out here and cut up some swim baits or do something with them, glue some tails on some different stuff. <laughs> do something. Oh, yeah, man. yeah. And no, that it was a funny phone call from Mike at the at the National Classic. He was like, he really, really wanted them. He really didn't want me to know that he was catching them on it, <laughs> but he, but, but he really funny. needed some more baits, you know. So and, and and he kind of felt he was like, how am I gonna go to the guy that I the only person I can get these from? I'm fishing against. It's his hometown tournament. It's like. How am I supposed? You know, it, yeah. it was a really weird phone call. I was more than willing to help him out, but it, it was a funny, funny phone call. He was, it was pretty cool for you're, him. You're a better man than he is. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't have answered that call. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he, he came to the house and I whipped him up a few, and he was, uh, he was definitely grateful. So, yeah, yeah, I remember seeing cool. the and, 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 and I, I give Mike a, I give Mike a big thanks to that because he, he, you know, us both being sponsored by Rapla. He's uh, he's obviously got a lot of influence, and and he helped help push them along, you know, to, for them to see that they needed to do that bay with me. So I definitely cool. appreciate his efforts in that. Cool. Right on. Yeah, Sending my address. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, we'll see you. Good luck at Chickamauga. Okay. Good luck the rest of the way. We'll be watching, man. Thanks for taking time with us, and congrats yeah, to everybody. Great. Odd Defoe, the champ. Thank you. Thanks, Odd. See you, buddy. Appreciate you, man. Thanks, guys. Yep. See y'all. Woo. Right. Awesome. Great stuff, guys. All right. Awesome. Guy always brings it. Mm-hmm. Always brings yeah. the juice. Yeah. People uh, enjoy, enjoy. Rich, it. what are you going to do when your eyes are as bad as mine? <laughs> what? I said, what are you going to do when your eyes get as bad as mine? I don't know. I, they, they might be headed that way pretty soon. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know. Oh, um, man. Um, well, what do you want to do, man? We got a, do you want to take a commercial break and then come back and finish or you just want to yeah, roll into it and then run the commercial break on the outro? Let's take a commercial break, come back and, and, and hang out for another 10 or so minutes. You know? All right. Sounds good, man. Yeah. On it.
and see you guys in two and a half. Moment on the water not spent fishing is a moment wasted. That's why Minkota and Humminbird have joined forces to bring you the One Boat Network. Products that communicate and integrate to help you take full command of your boat. Born from our commitment to making the most advanced fishing gear even better by making it work together. The One Boat Network will help you find, get to, stay on, and catch more fish. When One Boat Network products talk to each other, they can navigate your boat automatically. They can give you a crystal clear view of what's below with no messy wires. And they can let you lower, raise, and change shallow water anchor modes from anywhere on the boat. But that's just the beginning. We're never done innovating, integrating, and making your boat simpler and easier to control. All so you can make every second on the water count. Tackle Warehouse is proud to sponsor the FLW Pro Circuit and is the official tackle retailer of FLW. Providing proven bass fishing gear as well as the newest and hottest tackle. Our friendly and knowledgeable customer service staff can help you every step of the way. And we offer free ground shipping on orders over $50. Tackle Warehouse. Everything for the bass angler at the lowest prices. Guaranteed. I have to be constantly on the lookout for new techniques to stay on the top of my game. Giant. Some have been more giant. successful oh God, than others. Giant. The finesse fingernail. Happens every time. The chain gang. Oh ah, broke it off. The crow's nest. Never let go. And don't even get me started on tackle management, especially trying to stop rust and corrosion. Peanut butter. Mmm, that's good. Motor oil. Gotta keep the rust off all these baits. WD-40. keep the rust off. Silica, toothpicks, Q-tips, the list goes on and on. I'm hard on tackle, I fish fast, I need my tackle organized and protected. I can't be worrying about losing baits to rust. And when it comes to tackle management, there's only one solution. Flambo tackle storage systems with Z-Rust technology. The original anti-rust tackle box. Uncompromised clarity. Renowned durability. The infused anti-rust option that is FDA safe and free of harmful chemicals. The organization options are endless, but there's only one. One box, one anti-corrosion technology, one family-owned American-made brand, Flambo. Z-Rust Tackle Solutions. Preserve, perform, repeat.